Well, don't you love that? I do. I, I love those stories. I love the power of relationships and how making relationships intentional, how that really can be transformative for us and for others. And that's what this series is all about. Uh, but I just want to remind you again, Jeff just talked about it, that small group networking night is coming up, first weekend of October. And man alive, you, you need to be a part of that. It happens once a year. And if you're someone who has felt God just kind of poking at you to say, hey, this is something you need to put into practice in your life, uh, you, you need to be someone, and you don't have those relationships readily available, or, or maybe they're not the right kind of relationships, or maybe they're too far away, check out Small Group Networking Night. It's powerful. Uh, today, um, by the way, I'm Dion. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Today, we're going to talk about dropping your guard, which is something that's really hard to do, but it's very essential to uh, everything we're talking about in the series. So before we get into it, please pray with me. Father, I pray today that you would help us do exactly what we're talking about today, that you'd help us to uh, just drop our guard. Father, we come in here already with things in our minds, things on our hearts, things that preoccupy us, things that, that predominate. And yet, Father, we ask that you would just help us be at ease in our spirit, to be open, to be teachable, so that you can say whatever it is that you want to say and that you can transform our lives because we know that your ways are good and your desires for us are good. So just help us be open to your work in our lives, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now today, I want you to imagine for a moment, I want you to imagine living back in the time of kings and queens, of princes and princesses, and I want you to imagine that you are the crown prince of a kingdom, of, of a nation. And it has to be a prince, for, for reasons you'll see in a minute. Um, but you are the crown prince that, that means you have been raised from the time of your birth to be king someday. And now I want you to imagine that one day a warrior comes onto the scene. A warrior who is uh, fighting for your kingdom, fighting for your nation, but a warrior who becomes wildly popular. So popular that every time he returns from battle, people line the streets and, and they cheer and celebrate his homecoming with great victory chants. So popular that people in your kingdom start asking the question, well, why shouldn't this guy be our king? Now, now if you're the crown prince of this kingdom and people begin talking about some, some new warrior on the scene in that way, what would you do? Would you arrest him for treason? Exile him? Would you take a softer approach and just send some spies to follow him around to make sure that he's conducting himself in, a, in an up-and-up way? Would you send thugs over to his house to intimidate him, to teach him a lesson? Be honest now. I know we're all self-respecting people, but what would you do if you were threatened in that way? I mean, some of you have, have considered doing as much to the boy who wants to date your daughter. So I think in this scenario... Let's be real here. And this morning I want to ask you, if, if you're that crown prince who now feels your position being threatened, is there any chance that, that you would befriend that warrior, even support his bid to be king, and dedicate your entire life to serving him? <laughs> Not a chance, right? Well, this is actually what happened in history a few thousand years ago. Two men that are recorded, um, their stories recorded in the Bible. Uh, the, the crown prince, his name was Jonathan. And he was the son of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And the warrior, if you want to take a guess of the warrior, who might he be? Maybe you know. Yeah, David. Now, Jonathan and David, they had a uh, very unlikely 
relationship that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and it was unlikely because Jonathan really was, was a good man. He was a promising successor to be king. He, he himself was a, a successful warrior. He was a brave man. He was a very, very good man. He would have made a fine king over Israel, probably a much better king than even his father Saul. But David was greater. You see, David was the one who defeated Goliath, that, that giant who threatened Israel and taunted all of their strong men and taunted even their God. It was David who defeated Goliath with the five smooth stones and the, and the sling. It was David who became a general in Saul's army and, and pushed back the Philistines out of Israel, uh, Israel territory, which, which back in the day, the Philistines, I mean, they, they were these brutal, awful people. I mean, think of, think of ISIS today. The Philistines were like that. They'd behead people. They would, they would slaughter people. They were just awful, awful people. And, and David was the warrior who drove them back and was successful in all kinds of military campaigns against them. David. David was the one who was favored by God, especially he was anointed to be the next king. David was the one who was, who was humble and down to earth, a shepherd who was raised up to a great position. David, who was, who was an artist and a songwriter, and, and, and David, who was just this incredible guy. And you would think that, that Jonathan would be totally threatened by David. You would think that these two would become sworn enemies. But the truth is that they become best friends. And they have this friendship that is, that is epic, this friendship that is unlike so many others, this, this friendship that is so unlikely, this friendship that we're going to look at a little further today. But truth be told, this friendship between David and Jonathan makes a lot of people uncomfortable, especially men. And I'm going to show you why. Uh, look with me at 1 Samuel, starting at uh, chapter 18, verse 1. It says, After David had finished talking with King Saul... Jonathan, the crown prince, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Some translations say he loved him as his own soul, or he loved him to the depths of his own soul. Now, dudes don't talk this way, do they? He loves him from the depths of his soul? I mean, whether you're male or female, are there many people in your life whom you would say that about outside of your immediate family? And even if you feel that about your immediate family, chances are you don't even tell them that very often. But here it says that Jonathan loved him to the depths of his soul, loved him as he loved himself. Now, now look further, a few verses later. It says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. There we see it again. Now, now a few verses later, uh, it's actually quite a bit later, um, some time has passed, and this is after Jonathan dies tragically in battle with his father Saul. And David hears the news, and, and, and he's just broken about this. He's, he's torn up, he's, he's, uh, he's mourning, he's lamenting the loss of Jonathan. And so David does what all men do when they're missing a very close friend. He writes a poem. Right? I mean, who does this stuff? Like, hardly anyone. Yet David, he, he writes this poem about Saul the king and Jonathan, his best friend in all of the world. And I want you to see some of the words that he says. He says, How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. 
Now be honest, there's, there's something in you right now that's saying, something just doesn't seem right about this relationship. And in fact, many people have speculated and, and wondered if this relationship is all on the up and up. But, but here's what I'd like to say to you today. What if this relationship is perfectly okay? What if there is nothing inappropriate or odd about this relationship or deeper than what we see just at face value, a very, very deep friendship? What if, in fact, what if, in fact, these are the kinds of relationships that God intends for every one of us in this place to have? What if these relationships are God's intention for every creature on the earth, but what if they're just really, really rare? And because of that, they make us uncomfortable. I mean, just think about, even though our culture is uncomfortable with this kind of affection between men, just think about how, how the culture still reveals this, or reveres rather, uh, this picture of a best friend. I mean, you can turn on TV and you can turn on a sitcom and, you know, sitcoms today are kind of crazy. There's, there's usually a husband and a wife, and, and their relationship's dysfunctional, and they've got dysfunctional kids. And, and yet, always on every sitcom, it seems like there's always the best friend figure. It's like even in all of our dysfunction, we can't escape this longing for a best friend. Or, or think back to when you were a kid. And for some of you, you are kids, and so you don't have to think back very far. But in the heart of every kid was the desire to have a best friend friend. I mean, you could probably think back right now and think of some of the names of people who were your best friend when you were kids, or, or you can think about the longing you had for a best friend. Maybe, maybe you didn't have one. You know, I, I think of guys like Jeff Boholsky and David Bowe and my cousin Cameron, and later on my foster brother Jamar. They were, they were some of my best friends, and, and I treasured those relationships like no other. But then we grow up, and we move into adulthood, and even though we may have had that when we were kids, as adults, few of us have that. I mean, if you ask a grown man, if I ask any of you in this room, you know, who's your best friend? Chances are that the majority of us would name someone that we went to high school with or college with, even if we don't talk to that person very often, we'd still describe them as our best friend. For women in the room, it wouldn't be all that much different, although for, for women, women maybe stay a little closer to family. It could be a sister, it could be your mother. As we grow, it seems like we just get too big for this stuff, or maybe we're too busy, or, or maybe we've been burned too many times by relationships, or, or we become cynical, or we think it's childish, we become too sophisticated for best friends, and yet deep down, here's what I believe, I believe God has created you for these deep connections, and I believe deep down, you long for them. You know, I, I want to show you what uh, Brene Brown, she's a, she's a writer, um, she's a researcher, a, a doctor, um, she is really insightful, and she's really big right now, she's really insightful into uh, human relationships and vulnerability, and she writes about connection, and I, I just want you to hear these words as she describes connection, and I defy you, I defy you to say that this is not something that you want in your life. I, I defy you to read these words with me and just be like, no, I'm good, I don't need that. This is what she says, she says, I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they can give and receive without judgment. And when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. 
Who of us in here today or watching online, who of us do not want a connection like that? And yet the reality of our relationships is that most of them are shallow. We have people that we can pass the time with, people who are fun to hang out with, people we can party with, but but our relationships don't feed our spirits at a deep soul level like we wish they could. And yet here before us today, uh, we've got this great example of David and Jonathan, friends of just epic proportion, and although it may make us a little uncomfortable, we can learn a lot from their relationship. Now, now their story is a little hard to untangle from Scripture because it's over many, many chapters. And, you know, if you want to study it this week, I encourage you to do that. You can start at 1 Samuel 18. Just keep reading uh, through the end of that book. But today what I want to do is I want to use David and Jonathan as a template and their relationship as a template. And, and, and to be sure, there could be lots of other relationships in the Bible that could be used for the same template. People like Naomi and Ruth, and even, even uh, Jesus and Peter, and you can read about them and you're growing deeper this week. But I want to use their relationship as a template to describe what it looks like to have a connection with someone that is so deep, that is so powerful, that it will do all the things for you that you just saw Brene Brown Describe, and I encourage you to take notes as we go. So, so the first component of these deep relationships is admiration. It's admiration. See, all relationships, all relationships start with admiration. You admire the way someone looks, or, or the way someone acts, or the way someone dresses, or the way someone performs at work, or, or, or someone's ability, or someone's character. Maybe you admire an aspect of their character. Their kindness to you, their generosity, their hospitality. All relationships begin with admiration. And I want you to see how David and Jonathan's relationship began. Again, we've seen this once already. It says, after David had finished talking with King Saul, Jonathan, the crown prince, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Well, what had happened right before this? Well, David had killed Goliath, the giant. David, this guy who's not yet known to be a warrior goes out and faces the biggest, baddest, toughest guy who has ever threatened Israel. And all of these other warriors are cowering, afraid. Even King Saul doesn't know what to do. And David goes, this guy is blaspheming the Lord and he's making fun of the Lord's armies. And, and I'm not going to stand for it. The Lord is going to give me into his hands. And so David goes out and he, and he kills Goliath. And, and Jonathan sees that. And Jonathan's a warrior. And apparently he didn't go out and try to kill Goliath. And immediately there's this admiration for David as, as a fellow warrior for his bravery. See, see, all relationships begin with admiration. Now, the reason I'm beginning here, though, today, the reason I'm starting with admiration is because I think it's important for us to remember that if we long for one of these deep connections with someone else, it will never begin with pity. These kinds of friendships never begin simply because of duty or obligation. There may be someone in your life who needs a friend pretty badly, and I would encourage you as a Christ follower to, to befriend them, but, but that's more of what we would talk about as, as living the six. That's an act of service for someone else. It's another part of our one one fifteen six that we talk about here, our roadmap for a life journey. But, but this whole being someone thing, it's, it's different. And so it all begins with admiration. This kind of connection doesn't happen with someone that you pity, someone that you befriend out of obligation or duty. 
It happens out of a deep, deep admiration, and, and, and hopefully it's an admiration over substantial things. You know, not the kind of admiration where, where you admire someone because they can really crush beer cans on their forehead very well. You may admire that, but I don't know that's the basis for a friendship. And so David and Jonathan, they, they've got this mutual respect as warriors, but it goes so much deeper than that. They admire each other as men of integrity, as men of deep faith, and faith plays an important role in their relationship. They admire each other for a whole bunch of other reasons, but this is where it must begin for us. And I just want you to be, be clear on that, that you may befriend lots of people for different reasons, but these deep connections, they only happen when there is mutual respect, mutual admiration at the foundation. Now the next component is this, exclusivity. Exclusivity, and, and this one's a big one for me, exclusivity. Um, I, I want to show you in the next few verses how exclusivity manifests itself in David and Jonathan's relationship. Take a look. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return home to his family. So Saul saw that David was worthwhile keeping around, so he wanted to keep David in his court. Now, now read, read, t- take a look at this with me. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, uh, why is Jonathan taking off all his clothes? Kind of awkward, right? Well, what's happening here is a covenant ritual. What's a covenant? A covenant is a, is a relationship promise that people make to each other, two people make to each other. And so Jonathan here, in essence, is, is saying, David, you will be to me like no other. And so I give to you the, you know, the things that are very personal to me, my robe and my tunic. As a fellow warrior, I'm giving you my sword and my bow. I pledge myself to you as a loyal friend. I give my loyalty to you. You will be a friend to me like no other. Here's my pledge to you. Exclusivity. It's a powerful thing if you can learn to leverage it and if you can get comfortable with it. Now, by definition, you can't be exclusive with everyone, right? And this is, again, why this can only be for one or two or a small handful of people in your life, right? You can't go around telling everybody that they're your favorite, unless you're a grandparent. And you all do this so well. Um, but, But this truly is something that is reserved for a few people. Now, again, as kids, we did this. Little boys, you know, you'd cut your finger or poke your finger and, and you become blood brothers. And I don't know how little girls did it. Um, little girls tend to do things, I think, more like, more like God did things in the beginning. You know, if, if a girl wants to create a friendship, they just speak and it is. You know, say, let's be friends. And, and it was, you know. The friendships are just declared with little girls sometimes. But there's something powerful about that. About taking all the friends that you might have in the world and zooming in on one or two and saying, you will be to me like no other. And, I, and I'll have lots of people I show concern for and lots of people I care about and lots of people that I will interact with, but, but our friendship will be special. It will be set apart. Now, the only place that we still really do this today, as you probably know, the only time that we ever really make covenants, like we see Jonathan making with David, is, uh, is in marriage. When, when two people stand up in front of a church and they say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, 
in sickness and in health, until death parts us, you know, forsaking all others, that kind of thing. And yet, I just encourage you in your relationships to think about this ancient idea of covenant. See, in the Bible, covenants weren't reserved just for married people. They were reserved for all kinds of relationships. And I think, man, if if you want the kind of connection that, again, we saw described a few minutes ago, if you want that kind of depth and that kind of fulfillment from a relationship, it might take a pledge of exclusivity, a covenant with another person to say, you will be to me like no other. Now, exclusivity is, is essential if you really want a deep relationship. And it's so essential be, uh, for what we're going to talk about next, which is really the crux of this week. The next, uh, the next thing is vulnerability. Vulnerability. So admiration, exclusivity, vulnerability. Now, vulnerability is, is defined this way. To be vulnerable means this. To make yourself easily hurt or harmed physically, mentally, or emotionally. To make yourself open to attack, harm, or damage. Now, now you can see in David and Jonathan's relationship how vulnerability played you know, a huge part in their connection. I mean, Jonathan says, David, you'll be to me like no other. Here's my sword. Here's my bow. Here are weapons that you could later come back and kill me with. David was a shepherd boy. He didn't have weapons like that. He had a slingshot, remember? Further, although, although Jonathan loved David, King Saul, Jonathan's father, hated David. He became enraged and jealous and spent the rest of his life trying to kill David. And so Jonathan, by, by befriending David, he was putting himself at risk. His relationship with his father, even his own life, because his father was nuts. King Saul was crazy. He was tormented by an evil spirit. He'd throw spears at you if you made him mad. Now think about David on the other side. David puts his life in the hands of the son of the king who wants to kill him. He takes advice from Jonathan. He takes counsel from Jonathan. He, he does what Jonathan instructs him to do. It all could have been a trap. I mean, literally, he's making himself open to harm, physically, mentally, or emotional, attack, damage. This is vulnerability. And yet, in their relationship, it wasn't just physical. It went so much deeper than just the physical. See, see I think this is one of the areas... Uh, that is, is just so hard for us to do in our relationships. And yet, if we want that kind of connection that will really fill us, the kind of connection we were created for, then we've got to be willing to drop our guard. That's what we're talking about today. And, and to allow ourselves to be seen and heard and known and valued for who we really are, our actual self. Not, not the self that we present to most people. Our true, genuine, naked self. And here's the great misunderstanding about vulnerability is that, that we believe that vulnerability is for people who are weak. And this is why we as men, we don't want to do it because we think it's for weak people. And yet the truth is, to make yourself open like this, it requires great strength. Vulnerability is not for the faint of heart. You have to be so strong to be willing to be weak like this. And yet here in this room, right now, who of us hasn't been, in some point in our life, who of us hasn't been rejected by someone? Someone who got to to see the real you, and you showed them your real self, not your presented self, and they took a step back. 
Apparently they didn't like what they saw. I mean, who hasn't felt that kind of rejection in life? And who of us hasn't been gossiped about by someone whom we trusted and thought was a close friend? Who of us haven't been betrayed by someone we trusted with confidential information about us? Gosh, I remember back in third grade, uh, I had to have, a, I had to have a, a little procedure, an exploratory surgery. Uh, now I know that it was basically a colonoscopy. I didn't know what that was back then. And, uh, and uh, being vulnerable here, I'm with all of you. Um, and uh, my parents, you know, I didn't know what was going on. It was third grade. And my parents said, you know, you're going to miss school for a, a day, maybe, maybe two. And, um, and you know, but, but they told me, they advised me, they said, just, just don't talk to anyone about exactly what the procedure is. You know, like... You just say you got to go and you're going to be gone for a couple of days, but you don't need to tell them what it's all about. No one needs to know that. You just keep that to yourself. So I, of course, listened to my parents and went to school, and being a trusting third grader, I told a friend, right? Uh, and so I told a friend exactly what the procedure was, and uh, by the time I had gotten back from that procedure and came back to school, everyone in my class knew about it. And this is in the days of, you know, like 30 kids in your class. And so there were 30 kids in my class who all knew about it, and they were all laughing. They thought it was crazy because they were like, they put a camera where? And I had to explain that. And, and you know, I still remember that. I, I remember that. All these years later, that junk stays with you when, when you share something with someone and they use that against you. And there's kind of this thing in your head that says, I will never, ever do that again. And yet, like so many things in life, it is the riskiest things. The riskiest things are the most rewarding, right? That you can't get the rewards without the risk. And, and you know what? You can't be known and seen and heard and loved and valued for who you really are, your real true self, your actual self, until you're willing to open yourself up and show someone who you really are. To open yourself up to hurt or harm or damage or attack. And not with everyone. I mean, this is, don't go and start spilling your guts to everyone. Again, this is for people whom you've got mutual respect or mutual admiration. This is with people uh, that you've already declared some level of, of loyalty or exclusivity with. See, then you've got the freedom to be vulnerable. And, and you know what? I, I don't speak this way very often. But, but I believe that the devil would love to keep you afraid and fearful. That in your ear right now, he's reminding you of all the times that you've been burned by being vulnerable, because he would love to keep you living a small, unfulfilling life in terms of relationships. He would love to keep you with a million friends, but no true friends. See, in order to experience the reward of connection, there has to be risk. There is always risk. Uh, and then that brings us to our last thing. The fourth component of, of a deep connection like this is permanence. So we've had uh, admiration, exclusivity, vulnerability, and now permanence. Permanence. When you, when you invest in a relationship like this, it is a relationship that can actually last. It can stand the test of time. It becomes one of those relationships that is truly a, a, a relationship that is, you know, till death do us part. Not a relationship that says, I'll, I'll be your friend for as long as we live in the same city or have kids in the same school or until someone else better comes along. It can become this relationship that has, that has permanence. And one of my favorite stories in the whole Old Testament, it's such a tender story, and I don't know if I can tell it well enough to uh, explain to you the tenderness of it. It comes from, I think, 2 Samuel, uh, maybe chapter 7 or something, I'm not sure. Um, but it's, uh, it's a story where David, 
is made king. He's king because uh, Jonathan and Saul have, have both died. And some years have passed. And David, he's thinking about Jonathan and he's thinking about this life-changing friendship that he had. And so he sends one of his servants out and he says, I want you to find for me if there are any living people from Jonathan's family. If, if there are any living survivors of his lineage. And so this, uh, this servant goes out and, and he finds a son of Jonathan, a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a son of Jonathan, and uh, when he was a child, he was dropped, and uh, it caused some, some uh, injury to his legs, and so he was, he was crippled in both of his legs. He couldn't work, he couldn't field, or, uh, you know, tend crops, he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, run animals, he couldn't do any of that stuff. So basically this guy was destitute, and that's probably why he was still alive, because no one saw him as a threat. And so uh, David hears about this, and, and he tells that servant, he says, go and bring Mephibosheth to me. And he, and he brings this son of Jonathan, his best friend's son, before him. And he says, Mephibosheth, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to go and I'm going to reclaim all of the lands that belong to Saul, the king. You know, squatters and other people have taken those over. And, and I'm going to take those back. And, and those will become your possession again. And I'm going I'm to send out servants who are going to work that land for you. And, and they're going to bring in all that crop. And, and they're going to either give it to you for food or you can sell it. That's going to become your income. And more than that, he says, Mephibosheth, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to treat you as a son. I want you to move to Jerusalem, and I want you to come and eat from my table, which in the ancient world is saying, I, I want you, I, my riches are your riches. I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life for you and your family. And man, I just, I just think about that relationship, and the reason that I love it so much is because all of those components, you know, those, the admiration and the exclusivity and the vulnerability, it led to this permanence. I mean, there, there's no end to the effects of a relationship like this. Even long after Jonathan was gone, it was still bearing fruit. The effects of a friendship like this in your life can transcend even death. Now, who of us, who of us don't want a relationship like that? I mean, who of us in this room would say, you know what, I'm fine with the life of drinking buddies and girls' nights out, uh, I'll settle for that. I don't need a connection like this. The truth is, a lot of us do. Because this seems uncomfortable, and there's so much risk involved, and it weirds us out. And, and if this weirds you out, just let me reassure you, you are not alone. Lots of people feel weird about this kind of relationship, but also, just let me challenge you for a second. I want to challenge you not to write this off. If you do, if you write this off, if you just go, this is a bunch of soft, you know, mushy stuff, and you leave this place and you just continue in your relationships, you are missing out on one of the greatest treasures that God has created for you to have. The question is, can you drop your guard? Can you lower your defenses so that you can pursue a relationship like this? Are you willing to do the hard work, even though it's frightening, even though it's intimidating, but it is so, so worth it, I promise you. Now, now real quick, uh, before I go, I just want to share with you one other thing. I want to look back at that list. Hold on, go back to that list. Uh, this, this list, admiration, exclusivity, vulnerability, permanence, all the things that we've talked about that make a powerful relationship. I, I want you to look at this list now from a different angle. As you look at these lists, or as you look at these, uh, these components, do you realize that this is all of the stuff that Jesus offers you in a relationship with him? 
And do you realize that to be in a relationship with Jesus back, this is what he wants from you? I'll take it a step further. I want to go back to that quote from Brene Brown at the very beginning, that the power of those human connections. And this time I want you to hear these words, not about a relationship with another person. I want you to hear these words as it relates to your own life journey, your own connection, you and God. Hear these words again. I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. And when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. See, today I want to ask you, when you come into a place like this, and this, this whole connection that you have with God, what is it about for you? Is it about this incredible relationship with the living God who, who wants to see you and hear you and know you and value you? Is it about this connection with, with a God who knows you're good and you're bad and yet doesn't judge you because Jesus has paid the price for your judgment. That judgment has been put on him, so there's no condemnation. There's no judgment for you. Is this a relationship where you find sustenance and strength? Or is this for you just something that you do because it seems like the right thing to do and and you do it out of moral obligation because you're trying to be a good person? See, as much as I want you to be able to drop your guard in human relationships, to experience just the abundance that comes from that kind of friendship, even more than that, I want for each and every one of us to be able to drop our guard when it comes to God. To not hold him off at a distance, but but to let him in. To be this kind of friend to us. To be someone who sees and knows and values and loves us. To to, to be someone who who strengthens us. And here's my fear. Is a lot of us come into this place today and that's not what we're after. And we're missing it. We are missing, and I can say this unequivocally, we are missing out on the greatest treasure. That any human can have. And so as much as I want you to be able to drop your guard in human relationships, more than that, I want you to be able to drop your guard with God to let him be to you what no one else can. To be the Savior who gave everything so that you might be his and that he might be yours. See, that's where this all starts. If you can learn to do this with God, if, if, you, if you can let him pour into your life, then it gives you the confidence and the security to be able to risk that in other human relationships. But it all starts with God. So right now I want to invite you to stand. And I want to invite you to sing with me, with us, this great song. This song that is a declaration. This, this song that is a prayer saying, God, take me deeper. Because when we can do this with God, when we can drop our guard with God do this with each other and there's no end to the abundance that comes 